Lisa. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. So good to have you here. Thank you so much. It's always a joy to see you and to get time to chat. Well, and I was going to look it up to see if like they do on SNL when it's your fifth time you get a jacket or something. Oh, like we should have some award. And I feel like you're coming up on a fifth time. You've been so gracious to share your wisdom with my listeners. And it's always a treat because I feel like as you're learning and growing, you allow us to grow and learn with you. And um, I'm just honored to Thank have you share. You. Thank you. One thing I've learned is that when I'm on a healing journey, once I internalize and live out the next step of healing, the thing that really solidifies it is to share it with other people. And, you know, I view my readers um, not as a group, but I, I view it as a friend. And so it's just natural for me to want to share what's been helpful to me with a friend. And so that's really what this is all about. And this next season of healing was learning about good boundaries. And I think at least maybe my generation has heard that phrase a little more than maybe our parents' generation, but it still doesn't make it easier. And I think in the Christian realm, there's been a lot more work that has to has had to be done to kind of grasp this concept. For yourself, how did you navigate the concept of boundaries. Did you struggle with, is this a Christian? Does a good quote unquote, I'm doing quote marks. Is a good Christian set boundaries or is that, you know, psychology mumbo jumbo stuff? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Well, I wrestled with boundaries all the way around. Yeah. I have had boundaries put on me that felt very unfair. And so I would bristle against you know, those kinds of boundaries. Um, I'm a rule follower naturally. So if it's a healthy boundary, I really respect that. But I've had boundaries put on me where people were trying to control me or manipulate me. And that's never effective and it's never a good feeling. And I think a lot of people hear the word boundaries and they've had a bad experience with boundaries being put on them. And so they, they kind of cringe. I do think that on the flip side of that, we've all tried to do boundaries and some of us have found that they didn't work. And so we naturally assume that we're not good at boundaries. So there's that side of it, but certainly you mentioned wrestling through whether or not boundaries are even kind or Christian. I do think a lot of Christians wrestle through that as well. So I didn't write this book because I was so good at boundaries or that I suddenly <laughs> became a boundary expert at all. I needed to study the topic of boundaries because it was going to be crucial in this next season of my life to know how to set good boundaries and good boundaries are an indication of healthy relationships. And so I have been through enough unhealthy relationships where I want to step into this next season and I want to do everything I can to set up my friendships, my family relationships, and any future relationships that I have. I want them to be healthy and boundaries are certainly a good part of that. You've brought up that word. And I was thinking that as I was looking through all of about your book was this concept of health and unhealth. We throw that around even safe and unsafe Let's break that down. What does that mean to be with an unhealthy person or have an unhealthy relationship? You think of like um, 
when you have a cold, you sneeze or there's a symptom. What's a symptom of an unhealthy relationship? Well, first of all, I think most of us have a deep down knowing that something's not right. Even if we can't put our finger on or exactly name what's not right. But if you start having this feeling like, I don't think I can take this much longer. Or if you start having this feeling like something's off, but I can't really figure out what's off. Or if you start feeling inside of yourself, like, I think I'm crazy. Like I see something, but then this other person says, what I see is not really what I saw. And Mm -hmm. so the crazy making effect is certainly a a big indication that something has gone awry. But really what we're talking about here are dysfunctions in relationships and where there's a present, where there is the presence of chaos in a relationship, that's usually an indication that there's a dysfunction and where there's a dysfunction, there's usually a need for a boundary. And I think it's crucial that we are honest with ourselves. Sometimes being honest with myself is the hardest place for my honesty to go because I have kind of a Pollyanna view and I'm like, Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. It'll be okay. And yet a lot of times if the, if in a relationship, if I know something's off, but I keep saying it's fine, I'm contributing to the dysfunction and we get used to our own dysfunctions. You know, I tell a story in in the book where my sister came to visit a couple of years ago and we had finished a renovation at the house and some, somehow wires got crossed and you had to have the back floodlights on in order for the hot water heater to work. Now I know <laughs> if you are an electrician, that's probably not making any sense, but this is a very true story. So when my sister came to visit, she went upstairs to take a shower and someone turned the back floodlights off and suddenly she's yelling downstairs Lisa, the hot water just went out, you know, can you do something? And I said, oh, no worries. That just means someone turned off the back floodlights. I'll go flip them back on, give it a minute and you'll have hot water. When she finished her shower, she came downstairs and she said, can you repeat what you just said to me? And I said, yes, someone turned off the back floodlights and that's why the hot water went out. So I just had to turn the back floodlights back on and then you had hot water. And she leaned in and she said, you know, you need to get that fixed. Right. Mm. And I was like, I know I've been meaning to make a sign to put by the back floodlight switch, telling people not to turn them off when there's the need for hot water. And she leaned in even closer and she said, that's not normal. And it's just such a story of we get used to our own dysfunctions and then we try to navigate them the best we can rather than going to the source of the real issue. And um, I think this boundaries book, understanding good boundaries and goodbyes will help people get to the source of the real chaos, the real struggle, the real unhealthy source inside of relationships that you know something needs to change, but you don't know how to change it or what to change. Mm. I love how you said the chaos. Look for the chaos. I I heard a quote yesterday that says, frenzy reveals our idols. Like sometimes we are putting the sign up or keeping the dysfunction because we have some idol of others' perception of us or we're fearing rejection or we have this codependent relationship where 
this is working and I'm happy when this is working like this. And if we quote unquote fix it, or I set this boundary, I'm not going to be happy anymore and it's going to be hard. And so what idols do you think, or what do you think we're trying to preserve by not addressing the dysfunction? I think there's a lot of things at play. Anytime you establish a healthy boundary, there's going to be a natural consequence for that. Mm. And I think oftentimes we think that the consequences are only for the people that we've needed to establish a boundary with, but oftentimes the consequences are on us. In other words, if we draw a boundary and the other person is offended by it or won't cooperate with it or decides to be super disappointed in us or even reject us and walk away, then we know that if we, if we fear that we're running that risk, we're going to be very hesitant to draw that boundary. And I used to think it was because we didn't want to disappoint the other person, or maybe we were caught in a little bit of people pleasing. But as I really pressed in to my own motivation and see if this resonates with you as well, it wasn't really that I didn't want to disappoint the other person. It wasn't really that I was so caught up in trying to please them. What was really happening, and the reason why I didn't want to draw some boundaries, is because I was trying to preserve what I was getting from that other person that I feared would go away if I drew a healthy boundary. And so I I think that's a good thing to think about. Are we hesitant to draw boundaries really because we know it will cost us something and we're not willing to endure that cost, even for the sake of getting to a healthier place in the relationship? I just think it's something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems really personal. Like this whole conversation feels very like unique to each situation. And there's so many different places. And it's like, sometimes I've seen, maybe you've seen this in the Gen Z where they're setting boundaries with parents that I I don't know are always justified, or there were maybe some means prior they're using boundaries and it's as an excuse to not actually have a hard conversation. Exactly. So talk through, like we've, we said, look for the chaos, look for the dysfunction, analyze what's going on in you and why you don't want to set the boundary. But then let's go to the other extreme where you want to set the boundary. Like all the, they're like set boundaries everywhere. You're setting, shutting everybody out. Like, what do we need to evaluate in that situation? Well, I think we have to evaluate again, our motivation. I do think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's easier to shut people out than to have hard conversations. I read some statistics that more relationships die, not because we attempted the hard conversations and they went poorly, but because we never had the conversations that desperately needed to be had. And so I do think we can swing the pendulum to the opposite side where we just get so exhausted from trying to navigate all that you have to navigate in difficult relationships. And so I think the opposite extreme is we just shut everyone out and um, try to go at it alone, but God didn't, he didn't create us to go at life alone. And so, and anytime we're acting in extremes, like the extremes would be no boundaries at all, all the way to so such rigid boundaries that we shut everyone out. So we don't want to act in extremes. We want to bring it back to the middle. And that's where we find health. 
So we, we don't want to just draw extreme boundaries. We don't want to have no boundaries. We want to learn to establish good boundaries, healthy boundaries. So we have to bring it back to the middle. Now, here's the hope in all of this. You are already doing this really well. Now, you may not believe me when I say that because maybe you're thinking of all the relationships where you probably need to establish a boundary and you're not doing it. But let me give you an example of how you're already doing it really well. Do you have a bank account? I do. Couple. Okay. Do you have a security passcode on your bank account? I do. Okay. So would you feel comfortable today just giving everyone on the podcast free access <laughs> to your bank account by just giving them the passcode and letting them take whatever they desired to take? Probably wouldn't be a good choice. Probably wouldn't be a good choice, but why mm-hmm. wouldn't it be a good choice? Yeah. I think that I don't know the motivations behind everyone on the show. I don't know that they all have my best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't even know who's listening. I don't even exactly. know who's out there. Yeah. And ultimately you don't have unlimited resources in your bank account. <laughs> I'm assuming. There's a little bit in there, but we don't have it all in there. No, yes, okay. no, that's, there's, so, a min- there's a minimal amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've made peace with the fact that you have limited resources. Yep. And so even though your heart may be inclined to give a lot of money to one of your listeners because, hey, they just had access to your bank account and they wanted to take it all. Even if you wanted to do that, it would be irresponsible to do so because you are limited there. You are limited with your finances. And it's not because you're unkind and it's not because you're acting unchristian. It's because you're human. Yeah. Only God has a limitless supply. And we know this with our bank account, but we forget it when it comes to things like our emotional capacity. Mm-hmm. And so here's the real issue. If you want to think about it in terms of three words, think of these three words. This is really an easier way to understand boundaries. Think yeah. of these three words, access, responsibility, and consequences. So let's tackle the first two words. To the level that you give someone access to whatever area of your life. It could be emotionally, intellectually, financially, spiritually, um, whatever, uh, physically even. So to the level that you give someone access, they need to bring that same equal level of responsibility. In other words, they need to be responsible with the access that we have given them. Mm. The problem comes if we give level 10 access, but that person is only willing or capable of level three responsibility, that unequal distance is where the chaos and the dysfunction will be found. Mm. So we have a choice at that point. We can go have a conversation with that person and we can express our need for them to be more responsible with the access we've given them. But again, if they are unwilling to demonstrate that level of responsibility, or maybe they're incapable of demonstrating that level of responsibility. The way I used to try to do boundaries is I would put a boundary on them, trying to make them lift up um, their responsibility to match the access I'd given them. But that's a wrong tactic because we know we can temporarily encourage people to do something using external pressure 
but we can't sustain a change if they're not willing to make the change for themselves. You can't control another person. Just like today, if you had a cardiac event and I did CPR on you, I could sustain your life using external force and pressure for a little bit, but I couldn't sustain your life. Like we wouldn't be walking around the mall with me doing chest compressions on you. People would see that that that's not going to work. You know, you can't sustain life through external pressure. And the same is true when we need someone else to be more responsible with the access that we've given them. So our only choice is not to try to put a boundary on them to make them change because that may not work. Usually it doesn't work. So our only choice at that point is to put a boundary within the relationship or boundary even on ourselves by reducing the access that we grant them down to their level of demonstrated responsibility. Mm. And that third word is consequences. And we've already talked a little bit about that. You know, a boundary without a consequence is nothing but a poor suggestion. That's what my counselor, Jim Crest says. So, and I agree (laughs) with him. Yeah. So there, there does need to be a consequence for boundary violations. But then, like I said before, there's also going to be a consequence or a cost to us in drawing that boundary. But if we want healthier relationships, then we must step into that space of drawing healthier boundaries. And if we fear that drawing a healthy boundary is going to cause someone to reject us or walk away from us, chances are that person will eventually reject us and walk away from us, whether or not we draw a boundary. Mm. Mm. That's a great image. And I will hopefully get that video so people can see you with your hands, because I think it clarifies when you're dealing with a friend who's has an addiction, a spouse who has an addiction, a child who has an addiction, like the addiction <laughs> cycle you can get into. I was just talking to a friend recently, like at what point are you an enabler? You're like, I don't want to be, that that word is so, I don't want to be an enabler where I'm enabling this irresponsible behavior. Well, like you're saying, if you reduce the access, it requires them to own the responsibility piece and not you. And I think that is so freeing. Absolutely. If, If you feel like you're constantly having to minimize the best of who you are, to help cover up the worst of who someone else is, that's dysfunction. That's not the way it should be. And, and certainly it's not loving. It's not it's loving. Not, it's not loving. And mm-hmm. a true loving relationship is one where you seek each other's highest good. So it may feel like if I rescue this person from the natural consequences of the addiction that they're participating in, It may feel like I'm helping that person, but you're not seeking their highest good because to seek their highest good would be to allow them to experience the consequences of their choices so that hopefully it would motivate them to no longer participate in that addiction or at least to come to the realization that they have an addiction and that they need help. Something that I had to realize, and this was hard and it took me a long time. I can be a friend. I can be a mom. I can be a wife. I can be a sister. I can be a daughter. And while I can fulfill all of those roles, 
The one role I cannot fulfill is I cannot be a savior. Mm. We have a savior, yeah, but we're not it. And sometimes the more we step in and try to rescue other people, the more we're actually blocking the person's opportunity to connect with the one who can save them. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, you know, I don't say all of this. It's so easy <laughs> to say all these words on a podcast, but when you're living in the middle of the grit and grime and reality, there's so many nuances, there's feelings involved, there's fear involved. Um, sometimes the consequences of someone who has an addiction, those consequences are not just going to affect the person with the addiction, but they may affect you if you're in close proximity of them. And so I recognize this is not simple. This is not easy. This is nuanced in so many different ways. But with this book, Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm just going to give you a lot to think about. Mm, That's really good. Could you give us some tools for how to have these healthy but hard conversations that you mentioned earlier? Um, Like you said, this is not an easy thing, but maybe (laughs) with what you've walked through, you could hand us a few tips to think about and apply maybe. Yeah. Well, throughout the book, I give people scripts because even if you get to the place where you're like, yes, nodding your head. I need to establish some healthy boundaries here. And then you go to communicate those boundaries. Sometimes that's where it falls apart. Like we're willing, but having the actual conversation feels awkward or -hmm. sometimes could even feel um, terrible because, you know, you're, you're having to sort of change the relationship contract you know, every relationship has a contract. We may not have it written out, but people get used to you bring this and I bring that. And so when a change is made, people don't usually like changes and boundaries require changes. So those conversations can be really tricky and hard. And it's easy to get lost in the middle of a boundaries conversation and just say, never mind, just forget it you know, and drop the boundary because in that moment, it feels easier to drop the boundary than to continue to implement the boundary. But while that gives you relief short-term, it will never give you relief long-term. So we have to have the conversation. So I give people scripts, but let me give you an example of one of those scripts where the boundary conversation doesn't have to be hard and horrific. Let's say that you and I do everyday life together And we both like going to conferences. We just love it. Super fun (laughs) for us. Okay. But um, we have a different definition of being on time, what that means. And so some complications have come up where I can be the late one. That's very natural for me. I'm I'm not not a timekeeper. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to assign that to you, but that's me. I'm like, that would be real. That would be real. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's just say that the past several conferences we've been going to, you, you felt okay about scooting in just during the last song and Hey, we didn't miss the speaker. So we were quote unquote on time, but you see my definition of on time is so different than that. I want to get there. 10 minutes early, maybe even 15 minutes early, because I want to get a good seat. I want to go to the bathroom. I want to check out the merch table. I want to get something to drink. And then I want to go to the bathroom one more time because, you know, at my age, I don't even want three drops to contend with in my mental (laughs) battle. Okay. 
Yeah. And then I want to get in my seat and I want to be in the seat when the announcement slides come up before the first note of music is ever played and certainly before the speakers begin. So you can see we have a totally different definition of being on time or what is good to enter into a conference feeling like. And if we've been writing together and you've been, according to my estimation, if you've been making me run late, I'm going to start feeling extremely frustrated. So I could see in the frustration and I could start making excuses why we can no longer ride together, which is going to unleash all kinds of thoughts in your head because you're not going to know the root of the real issue. You're probably going to assume that the issue is something way bigger or way worse than just being on time to the conference, right? And so that uh, presumption and my refusal to be honest with you, that's going to start causing some chaos in our relationships, some hurt feelings and all of that. A much better tactic is just to go ahead and be honest and say this, you know, I absolutely love going to conferences with you. It's one of my most favorite things, but I have an issue. See, I'm putting it on myself. And the issue is my definition of being on time is I like to get there 10 minutes early and blah, 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 all the stuff. And I've noticed you have a different definition of being on time. That doesn't make you right or wrong. That just means that we're different. And that's okay because people are often different. So here's what I believe would be healthy for us. I will go to the conference with you if you want to be on the timetable where you're 10 minutes early with me. But you don't have to do that. I will be happy to go to the conference 10 minutes early. I will save us a seat and, uh, or I'll save you a seat. And then you can come in at whatever time you want to come in and we'll both win in that. And it's not going to really kill our experience if we don't ride together. So your choice, we can ride together, but what I need to ride together is this, this, and this, or we can ride separately and still enjoy the conference together. So do you see how that's not me accusing you? That's not me trying to control you or manipulate you. I'm giving you permission to be you. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm acknowledging what I need. I'm acknowledging what I desire. I'm acknowledging what I will and will not permit. And I'm being clear. And I think that clarity is going to do more to bring health into that relationship than anything else. Hopefully, your friend will receive that conversation well. And if they don't, then realize there's probably bigger issues at play. That's really good. And the way you say it seems so like, like you said, these are hard, but that seems simple. And I think oftentimes in complex relationships, whether it's with a parent and y'all, we'll put a link in the show notes. I did do an episode on boundaries with your in-laws and your parents with John Townsend. So that's great resource there. But it's it's different when it's your parent and you don't even know what the thing is. Like you don't even know. It's not a simple, I like to be there early. They like to be there late. You haven't even done, and we always use this phrase too, done the work. But maybe it's meeting with a counselor mm-hmm. to say, there is chaos. There is dysfunction in this relationship. Will you help me sort through the impasse or like, some clear boundaries that I may need to set or 
what's my part? Like we often want to, it's all the other, like you said, it wasn't all the person who was late's problem. There's just a difference in a definition of maybe even what a relationship is. Like my expectation is you will be this type of mother or this type of parent or child (laughs) or friend. And I have a different expectation than the reality. So yeah. Exactly. And we can't solve a problem if we don't work on the right problem. And sometimes I think we are working on the wrong problems, hoping to get results that we're never going to get. We've got to discover what the real problem is. And so I do love your thoughts of going to a counselor and help get the counselor to help you identify what is the real problem. And then this is something else that my counselor challenged me to do is to take out the word expectations. Oh, okay. Because expectations can sometimes be simmering resentments in disguise. Say that again. Say it again. Say it again. That's good. Okay. Sometimes expectations can be simmering resentments in disguise. Mm. And so the minute we say, I expect you to do this, you can hear this hint of it's not just a desire or a need, it's it's a demand. And it's also kind of threatening, maybe, you know. When I hear pain, I hear pain, like you when you say resentment, like there's past hurt that hasn't been resolved. Yes. But listen to how different it is if I say to you, I expect you to be on time, okay? Or if I say, I really desire for you to be on time. Do you see the difference in Mm -hmm. even the tone that that's going to set for the conversation? So my counselors helped me learn to change expectations to needs and desires. Mm. And then the clarity part comes in. Needs and desires are not weak if you establish with clarity what you need and desire. And uh, my counselor, Jim Crest, also has taught me adults inform, children explain. So we don't need to explain our needs and desires. We need to clearly state, this is what I am willing to do. This is what I'm not willing to do, or maybe no longer willing to do. This is what I will accept. And this is what I will not accept. This is what is okay. And this is what is not okay. And um, notice at the end of those statements, I don't add a question. You good with that? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And the reason that I don't add a question, it's not to shut down the discussion. That's fine. We can have a discussion around it. But if you add a question at the end, you're asking for somebody to co-sign it. You're saying, I can only have this need or the desire if you co-sign it, but that's not healthy. We can have a need and desire and the other person doesn't have to co-sign it um, because the need and desire is what we require inside of that relationship. And again, it's not because we're selfish or trying to control or manipulate. Certainly we can check our heart. If we are being selfish, then we need to reassess. If we are being manipulative or controlling, we need to reassess. But if our motives are pure, us stating our needs and desires is not because we're selfish, controlling, or manipulative. It's because we are trying to be wise about keeping ourselves safe. And we want to love others well without losing the best of who we are. And like you said, we're limited. 
So if Lisa Turkers has this limited amount and all this energy is going to this relationship, there's a less energy and abundance to offer in the ministries that God's like, if we're going to make it religious or biblical or whatever, God's desire and his heart for us isn't to spin our energy and our mental state on unhealth and dysfunction. It's to go and make disciples. And we're not able to do that if we're in these relationships. And I think you've really clearly stated, like, look for the chaos, the dysfunction, set the boundaries. Here's how you do it. Sometimes the boundaries aren't received. They've been implemented. Give us some tips on when it really is time to say goodbye, like the end of your title, good boundaries and goodbyes. So my friend, Leslie Burnick has some really good information helping to discern the difference between a difficult relationship and all relationships have levels of difficulty, but there's a difference between a difficult relationship and a destructive relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to really, again, be honest about two things, the severity of that, like the spectrum of severity of the difficulties Mm-hmm. And that severity can mean, is this an inconvenience or is this a true issue of safety where it is eroding my feeling of safety, my feeling of sanity, my well-being? So the severity of what's happening is really important to pay attention to because there's not going to be such a clear-cut place. This is where you cross from a difficult relationship to a destructive relationship. There's so many nuances you have to consider, but the spectrum of severity is certainly going to help us. And um, the second thing that I thought of as I was thinking through Leslie's challenges, this is a difficult relationship or destructive relationship. I started thinking of not only the spectrum of severity, but the spectrum of occurrence. Mm -hmm. Is this a mistake or is this an ongoing pattern? And when you cross-reference those, I think you start to see things that need to be attended to and where possibly some destructive patterns are happening that are going to erode your well-being. And it's not someone else's responsibility to gauge our well-being. It's our responsibility to do that. And also, it's my responsibility to establish what is safe and what is not safe. And again, we don't want to take giant leaps here. It's not like you want to say, well, you violated my boundaries and now I have to say goodbye. It's not that at all. It's taking steps of wisdom, surrounding yourself with good people who can help you weed through the chaos and really discern what is the severe nature of this or what is the I mean, how often is it happening? And I think getting wise people around you, this isn't putting it on social media and getting the weight of public opinion added (laughs) into the situation, but this is determining who is safe, who is wise, and who can help me figure this out. In a lot of instances where there's physical, emotional, sexual, or even spiritual abuse, you cannot go at this alone. Yeah especially if it's gotten to the point where 
a separation is absolutely necessary for safety reasons. And it's going to be crucial that you go and get people who are specifically trained in that area of struggle, um, professionals, or even if there's people at your church that are trained in this. And that's the secret. It can't just be a person. It's got to be somebody who's aware of the vast nature of what this entails and how to tackle it. Um, so someone specifically trained in this, it is very wise to go and get help. And I would not go out of alone. We are big fans of not doing things alone over here. This is super helpful. I think you have walked through so many things just in this episode. And I know the book has so much more. And you've mentioned your counselor a few times. He has even contributed to the book. Tell us a little bit about that piece. Yes. So I was so excited. Um, I asked Jim if he would, at the end of each chapter, have the voice of a therapist, a licensed professional Christian counselor who is trained in partner trauma, who is trained in addictions, who is trained in relational issues and, and very trained in, um, in gaslighting and narcissism and, um, all these terms that we hear now, but we don't really know what to do with them. So I asked him if he would weigh in and be a therapist throughout the book to give therapeutic wisdom at the end of each chapter. And so it's, it's really such a huge value to the reader because I'll be their friend who can identify and who will bring wisdom and who will help lead them through this process. And then Jim is going to give us therapeutic insight based on his vast training. And I think it just makes for a very well-rounded message to have his insights in just a few paragraphs at the end of each chapter. So helpful, especially for, you know, a lot of us talk about therapy these days, but there's still a stigma. And there's still a challenge to make that phone call and set up that appointment. And so just to have, even if someone's always felt like they wanted to, but they've still haven't made that phone call, you're giving them a glimpse into the value and the insight. And I think um, maybe a little nudge, a little nudge to make that phone call. And that's one of the reasons that I started the podcast therapy and theology, because I wanted people to be able to listen to the safety of a counselor's voice and combining that with theological support and um, recognizing that therapy, good, healthy therapy that, that so many of us talk about today, it comes from the wisdom found in the Bible. So combining therapy and theology gives people a way to experience help from trained professionals but without their issues being put on display. And so that's why I'm there. You know, Jim brings the therapy, Dr. Joel Mutamale brings the theology and I bring the issues. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like free counseling for me. And I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. But not only do I bring the issues, I also bring you spiritual wisdom. That is a key component of not only why certain things happen, but also how to apply the therapy and theology that we talk about on the show. So that could be a real help for people as well. I love that. We will put a link to that in the show notes too. Lisa, I'm excited for you. I know um, 
this is going to have good fruit. So thank you for being willing to write it. Writing is no small thing, folks. I'm telling you, it's no small thing. Okay. (laughs) Um, So thank you. And I hope we get to chat again and you have a great day. Thank you so much. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get even softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code RESTful15. So head to B-O-L-L-N-Branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details details.